Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. As you may be able to tell, I'm a little bit poorly today, but I still hope to help guide you into a restful night's sleep. In this episode, I'll be reading Much Ado About Nothing and Romeo and Juliet from William Shakespeare and E. Nesbitt's Beautiful Stories from Shakespeare. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Story One Much Ado About Nothing In Sicily is a town called Messina, which is the scene of a curious storm in a teacup that raged several hundred years ago. It began with sunshine. Don Pedro, Prince of Aragon in Spain, had gained so complete a victory over his foes that the very land whence they came is forgotten. Feeling happy and playful after the fatigues of war, Don Pedro came for a holiday to Messina, and in his suite were his stepbrother, Don John, and two young Italian lords, Benedict and Claudio. Benedict was a merry chatterbox who had determined to live a bachelor. Claudio, on the other hand, no sooner arrived at Messina than he fell in love with Hero, the daughter of Leonardo, governor of Messina. A perfumer called Baraccio was burning dried lavender in a musty room in Leonardo's house when the sound of conversation floated through the open window. 
give me your candid opinion of Hero, Claudio asked, and Baraccio settled himself for comfortable listening. Too short and brown for praise, was Benedict's reply, but alter her colour or height, and you spoil her. In my eyes, she is the sweetest of women, said Claudio. Not in mine, retorted Benedict, and I have no need for glasses. She is like the last day of December compared with the first of May if you set her beside her cousin. Unfortunately, the Lady Beatrice is a fury. Beatrice was Leonardo's niece. She amused herself by saying witty and severe things about Benedict, who called her dear Lady Disdain. She was wont to say that she was born under a dancing star, and could not therefore be dull. Claudio and Benedict were still talking when Don Pedro came up and said, good-humouredly. Well, gentlemen, what's the secret? I am longing, answered Benedict, for your grace to command me to tell. I charge you, then, on your allegiance to tell me, said Don Pedro falling in with his humour. I can be but as dumb as a mute, apologised Benedict to Claudio, but his grace commands my speech. To Don Pedro he said, Claudio is in love with Hero, Leonardo's short daughter. Don Pedro was pleased, for he admired Hero and was so fond of Claudio. When Benedict had parted, he said to Claudio, Be steadfast in your love for Hero, and I will help you win her. Tonight, Her father gives a masquerade, and I will pretend I am Claudio, and tell her how Claudio loves her, and if she be pleased, I will go to her father and ask his consent to your union. Most men like to do their own wooing. But if you fall in love with the governor's only daughter, you are fortunate if you can trust a prince to plead for you. Claudio then was fortunate, but he was unfortunate as well, 
for he had an enemy who was outwardly a friend. This enemy was Don Pedro's stepbrother, Don John, who was jealous of Claudio because Don Pedro preferred him to Don John. It was to Don John that Baraccio came with the interesting conversation which he had overheard. I shall have some fun at that masquerade myself, said Don John when Baraccio ceased speaking. On the night of the masquerade, Don Pedro, masked and pretending he was Claudio, asked Hero if he might walk with her. They moved away together, and Don John went up to Claudio and said, Signor Benedict, I believe. The same, fibbed Claudio. I should be much obliged then, said Don John, if you would use your influence with my brother to cure him of his love for Hero. She is beneath him in rank. How do you know he loves her? inquired Claudio. I heard him swear his affection, was the reply, and Baraccio chimed in with, So did I too. Claudio was then left to himself, and his thought was that his prince had betrayed him, Farewell, hero, he muttered. I was a fool to trust an agent. Meanwhile, Beatrice and Benedict, who was masked, were having a brisk exchange of opinions. Did Benedict ever make you laugh? asked she. Who is Benedict? he inquired. A prince's jester, replied Beatrice, and she spoke so sharply that I would not marry her, he declared afterwards, if her estate were the Garden of Eden. But the principal speaker at the masquerade was neither Beatrice nor Benedict. It was Don Pedro who carried out his plan to the letter and brought the light back to Claudio's face in a twinkling by appearing before him with Leonardo and Hero and saying, Claudio, when would you like to go to church. Tomorrow was the prompt answer. Time goes on crutches till I marry Hero. Give her a week, my dear son, said Leonardo, and Claudio's heart 
thumped with joy. And now, said the amiable Don Pedro, we must find a wife for Signor Benedict. It is a task for Hercules. I will help you, said Leonardo, if I have to sit up ten nights. Then Hero spoke, I will do what I can, my lord, to find a good husband for Beatrice. Thus, with happy laughter, ended the masquerade which had given Claudio a lesson for nothing. Baraccio cheered up Don John by laying a plan before him with which he was confident he could persuade both Claudio and Don Pedro that Hero was a fickle girl who had two strings to her bow. Don John agreed to this plan of hate. Don Pedro, on the other hand, had devised a cunning plan of love. If, he said to Leonardo, we pretend when Beatrice is near enough to overhear us that Benedict is pining for her love, she will pity him, see his good qualities, and love him, and if, when Benedict thinks we don't know he is listening, we say how sad it is that the beautiful Beatrice should be in love with a heartless scoffer like Benedict. He will certainly be on his knees before her in a week or less. So one day, when Benedict was reading in a summer house, Claudio sat down outside it with Leonardo and said, Your daughter told me something about a letter she wrote. Letter, exclaimed Leonardo, she will get up twenty times in the night and write goodness knows what. But once Hero peeped and saw the words Benedict and Beatrice on the sheet, and then Beatrice tore it up. Hero told me, said Claudio, that she cried, Oh, sweet Benedict. Benedict was touched to the core by this improbable story, which he was vain enough to believe. She is fair and good, he said to himself. I must not seem proud. I feel that I love her. People will laugh, of course, but their paper bullets will do me no harm. At this moment, Beatrice came to the summer house and said, Against my will, 
I have come to tell you that dinner is ready. Fair Beatrice, I thank you, said Benedict. I took no more pains to come that you take pains to thank me, was the rejoinder intended to freeze him. But it did not freeze him, it warmed him. The meaning he squeezed out of her rude speech was that she was delighted to come to him. Hero, who had undertaken the task of melting the heart of Beatrice, took no trouble to seek an occasion. She simply said to her maid Margaret one day, Run into the parlour and whisper to Beatrice that Ursula and I are talking about her in the orchard. Having said this, she felt as sure that Beatrice would overhear what was meant for her ears as if she had made an appointment with her cousin. In the orchard was a boa, screened from the sun by honeysuckles, and Beatrice entered it a few minutes after Margaret had got on her errand. But are you sure? asked Ursula, who was one of Hero's attendants, that Benedict loves Beatrice so devotedly. So say the prince and my betrothed, replied Hero, and they wished me to tell her, but I said, no, let Benedict get over it. Why did you say that? Because Beatrice is unbearably proud. Her eyes sparkle with disdain and scorn. She is too conceited to love. I should not like to see her make game of poor Benedict's love. I would rather see Benedict waste away like a covered fire. I don't agree with you, said Ursula. I think your cousin is too clear-sighted not to see the merits of Benedict. He is the one man in Italy except Claudio, said Hero. The talkers then left the orchard, and Beatrice, excited and tender, stepped out of the summer house, saying to herself, Poor dear Benedict, be true to me, and your love shall tame this wild heart of mine. We now return to the plan of hate. The night before the day fixed for Claudio's wedding, Don John entered a room in which Don Pedro and Claudio were conversing, 
and asked Claudio if he intended to be married tomorrow. You know he does, said Don Pedro. He may know differently, said Don John, when he has seen what I will show him if he will follow me. They followed him into the garden, and they saw a lady leaning out of Hero's window, talking love to Baraccio. Claudio thought the lady was Hero, and said, I will shame her for it tomorrow. Don Pedro thought she was Hero too, but she was not Hero, she was Margaret. Don John chuckled noiselessly when Claudio and Don Pedro quitted the garden. He gave Baraccio a purse containing a thousand ducats. The money made Baraccio feel very gay, and when he was walking in the street with his friend, Conrad, he boasted of his wealth and the giver, and told what he had done. A watchman overheard them, and thought that a man who had been paid a thousand ducats for villainy was worth taking in charge. He therefore arrested Baraccio and Conrad, who spent the rest of the night in prison. Before noon of the next day, half the aristocrats in Messina were at the church. Hero thought it was her wedding day, and she was there in her wedding dress, no cloud on her pretty face or in her frank and shining eyes. The priest was Friar Francis. Turning to Claudio, he said, You come hither, my lord, to marry this lady. No, contradicted Claudio. Leonardo thought he was quibbling over grammar. You should have said, Friar said he, you come to me to be married. Friar Francis turned to Hero. Lady, he said, you come hither to be married to this count? I do, replied Hero. If either of you know any impediment to this marriage, I charge you utter it, said the friar. Do you know of any hero? asked Claudio. None, said she. Know you of any count? demanded the friar. I dare reply for him. None, said Leonardo. 
Claudio exclaimed bitterly. Oh, what will not men dare say, father? He continued. Will you give me your daughter? As freely, replied Leonardo, as God gave her to me. And what can I give you? asked Claudio, which is worth this gift. Nothing, said Don Pedro, unless you give the gift back to the giver. Sweet prince, you teach me, said Claudio. There, Leonardo, take her back. These brutal words were followed by others which flew from Claudio, Don Pedro and Don John. The church seemed no longer sacred. Hero took her own part as long as she could. Then she swooned. All her precautors left the church except her father, who was befooled by the accusations against her, and cried, Hence from her, let her die. But Friar Francis saw Hero blameless with his clear eyes that probed her soul. She is innocent, he said, A thousand signs have told me so. Hero revived under his kind gaze. Her father, flurried and angry, knew not what to think, and the friar said, They have left her as one dead with shame. Let us pretend that she is dead until the truth is declared, and slander turns to remorse. The friar advises well, said Benedict. Then Hero was led away into a retreat, and Beatrice and Benedict remained alone in the church. Benedict knew she had been weeping bitterly and long. Surely I do believe your fair cousin is wronged, he said. She still wept. It is not strange, asked Benedict gently, that I love nothing in the world as well as you. It were as possible for me to say I loved nothing as well as you, said Beatrice. But I do not say it. I am sorry for my cousin. Tell me what to do for her, said Benedict. Kill Claudio. Ha, not for the wide world, said Benedict. Your refusal kills me, said Beatrice. 
farewell. Enough, I will challenge him, cried Benedict. During this scene, Baraccio and Conrad were in prison. There they were examined by a constable called Dogberry. The watchman gave evidence to the effect that Baraccio had said that he had received a thousand ducats for conspiring against Hero. Leonardo was not present at this examination, but he was nevertheless now thoroughly convinced of Hero's innocence. He played the part of bereaved father very well, and when Don Pedro and Claudio called on him in a friendly way, he said to the Italians, You have slandered my child to death, and I challenge you to combat. I cannot fight an old man, said Claudio. You could kill a girl, sneered Leonardo, and Claudio crimsoned. Hot words grew from hot words, and both Don Pedro and Claudio were feeling scorched when Leonardo left the room and Benedict entered. The old man, said Claudio, was like to have snapped my nose off. You are a villain, said Benedict shortly. Fight me when and with what weapon you please, or I call you a coward. Claudio was astounded, but said, I'll meet you. Nobody shall say I can't carve a calf's head. Benedict smiled, and as it was time for Don Pedro to receive officials, the prince sat down in a chair of state and prepared his mind for justice. The door soon opened to admit Dogbury and his prisoners. What offence, said Don Pedro, are these men charged with? Baraccio thought the moment a happy one for making a clean breast of it. He laid the whole blame on Don John, who had disappeared. The lady hero being dead, he said, I desire nothing but the reward of a murderer. Claudio heard with anguish and deep repentance. Upon the re-entrance of Leonardo be said to him, This slave makes clear your daughter's innocence. Choose revenge. Leonardo said Don Pedro humbly. 
I am ready for any penance you may impose. I ask you both then, said Leonardo, to proclaim my daughter's innocence and to honor her tomb by singing her praises before it. As for you, Claudio, I have this to say. My brother has a daughter so like Hero that she might be a copy of her. Marry her and my vengeful feelings die. Noble sir, said Claudio, I am yours. Claudio then went to his room and composed a solemn song. Going to the church with Don Pedro and his attendants, he sang it before the monument of Leonardo's family. When he had ended, he said, Good night, hero, yearly will I do this. He then gravely, as became a gentleman whose heart was hero's, made ready to marry a girl whom he did not love. He was told to meet her in Leonardo's house and was faithful to his appointment. He was shown into a room where Antonio, Leonardo's brother, and several masked ladies entered after him. Friar Francis, Leonardo, and Benedict were present. Antonio led one of the ladies towards Claudio. Sweet, said the young man, let me see your face. Swear first to marry her, said Leonardo. Give me your hand, said Claudio to the lady. Before this holy friar, I swear to marry you if you will be my wife. Alive I was your wife, said the lady as she drew off her mask. Another hero, exclaimed Claudio. Hero died, explained Leonardo, only while slander lived. The friar was then going to marry the reconciled pair, but Benedict interrupted him with, Softly, friar, which of these ladies is Beatrice? Hereat Beatrice unmasked, and Benedict said, You love me, don't you? Only moderately, was the reply. Do you love me? Moderately, answered Benedict. I was told you were well nigh dead for me, remarked Beatrice. Of you I was told the same, said Benedict. 
Here's your own hand in evidence of your love, said Claudio, producing a feeble sonnet which Benedict had written to his sweetheart. And here, said Hero, is a tribute to Benedict which I picked out of the pocket of Beatrice. A miracle, exclaimed Benedict. Our hands are against our hearts. Come, I will marry you, Beatrice. You shall be my husband to save your life, was the rejoinder. Benedict kissed her on the mouth, and the friar married them after he married Claudio and Hero. How is Benedict the married man? asked Don Pedro. Too happy to be made unhappy, replied Benedict. Crack what jokes you will. As for you, Claudio, I had hoped to run you through the body, but as you are now my kinsman, live whole and love my cousin. My cudgel was in love with you, Benedict, until today, said Claudio, but come, come, let's dance said Benedict, and dance they did, not even the news of the capture of Don John was able to stop the flying feet of the happy lovers, for revenge is not sweet against an evil man who has failed to do harm. Story 2 Romeo and Juliet Once upon a time there lived in Verona two great families named Montague and Capulet. They were both rich, and I suppose they were as sensible in most things as other rich people. But in one thing, they were extremely silly. There was an old, old quarrel between the two families, and instead of making it up like reasonable folk, they made a sort of pet of their quarrel, and would not let it die out, so that a Montague wouldn't speak to a Capulet if he met one in the street, nor a Capulet to a Montague, or if they did speak, it was to say rude and unpleasant things, which often ended in a fight and their relations and servants were just as foolish, so that street fights and duels and uncomfortableness of that kind 
were always growing out of the Montague and Capulet quarrel. Now Lord Capulet, the head of that family, gave a party, a grand supper and a dance, and he was so hospitable that he said anyone might come to it, except, of course, the Montagues. But there was a young Montague named Romeo, who very much wanted to be there, because Roslyn, the lady he loved, had been asked. This lady had never been at all kind to him, and he had no reason to love her. But the fact was that he wanted to love somebody, and as he hadn't seen the right lady, he was obliged to love the wrong one. So to the Capulet's grand party he came, with his friends Mercutio and Benvolio. Old Capulet welcomed him and his two friends very kindly, and young Romeo moved among the crowd of courtly folk dressed in their velvets and satins, the men with jeweled sword hilts and collars, and the ladies with brilliant gems on their breasts and arms, and stones of price set in their bright girdles. Romeo was in his best too, and though he wore a black mask over his eyes and nose, everyone could see by his mouth and his hair, and the way he held his head, that he was twelve times handsomer than anyone else in the room. Presently, amid the dancers, he saw a lady so beautiful and so lovable, that from that moment he never again gave one thought to that Rosalind whom he had thought he loved. And he looked at this other fair lady, as she moved in the dance in her white satin and pearls, and all the world seemed vain and worthless to him compared with her. And he was saying this, or something like it, when Tybalt, Lady Capulet's nephew, hearing his voice, knew him to be Romeo, Tybalt, being very angry, went at once to his uncle and told him how a Montague had come uninvited to the feast. But old Capulet was too fine a gentleman to be discourteous to any man under his own roof, and he bade Tybalt be quiet. 
but this young man only waited for a chance to quarrel with Romeo. In the meantime, Romeo made his way to the fair lady, and told her in sweet words that he loved her and kissed her. Just then her mother sent for her, and then Romeo found out that the lady on whom he had set his heart's hope was Juliet, the daughter of Lord Capulet, his sworn foe. So he went away, sorrowing indeed, but loving her nonetheless. Then Juliet said to her nurse, Who is that gentleman that would not dance? His name is Romeo, and a Montague, the only son of your great enemy, answered the nurse. Then Juliet went to her room and looked out of her window over the beautiful green-grey garden where the moon was shining and Romeo was hidden in the garden among the trees because he could not bear to go right away without trying to see her again. So she, not knowing him to be there, spoke her secret thoughts aloud and told the quiet garden how she loved Romeo. And Romeo heard and was glad beyond measure. Hidden below, he looked up and saw her fair face in the moonlight, framed in the blossoming creepers that grew round her window. And as he looked and listened, he felt as though he had been carried away in a dream and set down by some magician in that beautiful, enchanted garden. Ah, why are you called Romeo, said Juliet. Since I love you, what does it matter what you are called? Call me but love, and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth I never will be Romeo, he cried, stepping into the full white moonlight from the shade of the cypresses and olindas that had hidden him. She was frightened at first, but when she saw that it was Romeo himself and no stranger, she too was glad and... He standing in the garden below, and she leaning from the window, they spoke long together, each one trying to find the sweetest words in the world to make that pleasant talk that lovers use. And the tale of all they said, and the sweet music their voices made together, is all set down in a golden book where you children may read it for yourselves someday.
and the time passed so quickly as it does for folk who are in love with each other and together that when the time came to part it seemed as though they had met but that moment and indeed they hardly knew how to part I will send to you tomorrow said Juliet and so at last with lingering and longing they said goodbye Juliet went into her room and a dark curtain bit her bright window Romeo went away through the still and dewy garden like a man in a dream the next morning very early Romeo went to Friar Lawrence a priest and telling him all the story begged him to marry him to Juliet without delay and this after some talk the priest consented to do so when Juliet sent her old nurse to Romeo that day to know what he purposed to do the old woman took back a message that all was well and all things ready for the marriage of Juliet and Romeo on the next morning the young lovers were afraid to ask their parents consent to marriage as young people should do because of this foolish quarrel between the Capulets and the Montagues and Friar Lawrence was willing to help the young lovers secretly but he thought that when they were once married their parents might soon be told and that the match might put a happy end to the old quarrel so the next morning early Romeo and Juliet were married at Friar Lawrence's cell and parted with tears and kisses and Romeo promised to come into the garden that evening and the nurse got ready a rope ladder to let down from the window so that Romeo could climb up and talk to his dear wife quietly and alone but that very day a dreadful thing happened Tybalt the young man who had been so vexed at Romeo's going to the Capulet feast met him and his two friends Mercutio and Benvolio in the street called Romeo a villain and asked him to fight Romeo had no wish to fight with Juliet's cousin but Mercutio drew his sword and he and Tybalt fought and Mercutio was killed when Romeo saw that this friend was dead he forgot everything except 
anger at the man who had killed him, and he and Tybalt fought till Tybalt fell dead. So, on the very day of his wedding, Romeo killed his dear Juliet's cousin and was sentenced to be banished. Poor Juliet and her young husband met that night indeed. He climbed the rope ladder among the flowers and found her window. But their meeting was a sad one, and they parted with bitter tears and hearts heavy, because they could not know when they should meet again. Now Juliet's father, who, of course, had no idea that she was married, wished her to wed a gentleman named Paris, and was so angry when she refused that she hurried away to ask Friar Lawrence what she should do. He advised her to pretend to consent, and then he said, I will give you a draught that will make you seem to be dead for two days, and then when they take you to church, it will be to bury you and not to marry you. They will put you in the vault thinking you are dead, and before you wake up, Romeo and I will be there to take care of you. Will you do this, or are you afraid? I will do it. Talk not to me of fear, said Juliet, and she went home and told her father she would marry Paris. If she had spoken out and told her father the truth, well, then this would have been a different story. Lord Capulet was very much pleased to get his own way, and set about inviting his friends and getting the wedding feast ready. Everyone stayed up all night, for there was a great deal to do, and very little time to do it in. Lord Capulet was anxious to get Juliet married, because he saw she was very unhappy. Of course she was really fretting about her husband Romeo, but her father thought she was grieving for the death of her cousin Tybalt, and he thought marriage would give her something else to think about. Early in the morning, the nurse came to call Juliet, and to dress her for the wedding, but she would not wake, and at last the nurse cried out suddenly, Alas, alas! Help, help, my lady's dead. Oh, well a day that ever I was born. 
Lady Capulet came running in, and then Lord Capulet, and Lord Paris, the bridegroom. There lay Juliet, cold and white and lifeless, and all their weeping could not wake her. So it was a burying that day instead of a marrying. Meantime, Friar Lawrence had sent a message to Montel with a letter to Romeo, letting him know of all these things, and all would have been well. Only the messenger was delayed and could not go. But ill news travels fast. Romeo's servant, who knew the secret of the marriage, but not of Juliet's pretend death, heard of her funeral, and hurried to Mantel to tell Romeo how his young wife was dead and lying in her grave. Is it so? cried Romeo, heartbroken. Then I will lie by Juliet's side tonight. And he bought himself a poison and went straight back to Verona. He hastened to the tomb where Juliet was lying. It was not a grave, but a vault. He broke open the door and was just going down the stone steps that led to the vault where all the dead Capulets lay, when he heard a voice behind him calling on him to stop. It was the Count Paris who was to have married Juliet that very day. How dare you come here and disturb the dead bodies of the Capulets, you vile Montague, cried Paris. Poor Romeo, half mad with sorrow, yet tried to answer gently. You were told, said Paris, that if you returned to Verona, you must die. I must indeed, said Romeo. I came here for nothing else. Good, gentle youth, leave me. Oh, go, before I do you any harm. I love you better than myself. Go, leave me here. Then Paris said, I defy you and I arrest you as a felon. And Romeo, in his anger and despair, drew his sword. They fought, and Paris was killed. As Romeo's sword pierced him, Paris cried, Oh, I am slain. If thou be merciful, open the tomb and lay me with Juliet. And Romeo said, In faith I will, 
and he carried the dead man into the tomb and laid him by the dear Juliet's side. Then he kneeled by Juliet and spoke to her and held her in his arms and kissed her cold lips, believing that she was dead, while all the while she was coming nearer and nearer to the time of her awakening. Then he drank the poison and died beside his sweetheart and wife. Now came Friar Lawrence when it was too late and saw all that had happened and then poor Juliet woke out of her sleep to find her husband and her friend both dead beside her. The noise of the fight had brought other folk to the place too, and Friar Lawrence, hearing them, ran away, and Juliet was left alone. She saw the cup that held the poison, and knew how all this had happened, and since no poison was left for her, she drew her Romeo's dagger and thrust it through her heart, and so, falling with her head on Romeo's breast, she died. And here ends the story of these faithful and most unhappy lovers. <laughs>